Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about intelligent design and evolution. Welcome to ID the Future. I'm Tom Gilson. Today's podcast is the first of two in which we'll be featuring a panel discussion on the danger of totalitarian science. This discussion, held at the July 2018 Freedom Fest in Las Vegas, followed a screening there of the film Human Zoos, directed by Discovery Institute Vice President Dr. John West. Dr. West opens the panel, and he's followed in today's episode by Discovery Institute Senior Fellow and Professor of History Dr. Richard Weichart, with a question from the audience to round out the discussion. So, the title of this panel is The Danger of Totalitarian Science, and although it was preceded by the film, it's not primarily just on the film, it's on the broader issue. Uh, My name again is John West, I'm a Vice President at Discovery Institute in Seattle, a free market think tank dedicated to advancing a culture of purpose, creativity, and innovation. I had the privilege of directing and writing the documentary that was just screened. I'm joined on the panel by two of my colleagues from Discovery Institute, who are also senior fellows there. First is economics and technology writer, probably does not need any introduction at Freedom Fest, but I'm going to anywhere. Economist, futurist, extraordinaire, George Gilder. George is one of the seminal thinkers of our time. He's author of many path-breaking books. The first one that I read was Wealth and Poverty when I was an undergraduate, and it really It rescued me. I was in an economics class at the time by someone who considered themselves pro-free market, but the view of economics was so bleak there. It was that that free market economics really was just greed-driven, and the particular professor I was taking seemed to think that was good. But fortunately, I went up to a bookstore near the state university I was going to and found the paperback edition that had just come out of Wealth and Poverty, and that really transformed my idea of what drives capitalism. So I am personally very appreciative to George in my own life. Men in Marriage, Life After Television, Microcosm, The Scandal of Money, The Israel Test, Knowledge and Power, and most recently, as in officially today or tomorrow, Life After Google. So be some of the first people in the nation to get that book and to hear George's talk on it tomorrow, I think. We're also joined this afternoon by Richard Weichart, professor of history at California State University, who was featured in the film, an expert on social Darwinism, especially uh, its influence in Europe, but also in the United States, and the overall influence on really our current culture. Richard is author of numerous path-breaking books, too, From Darwin to Hitler, Socialist Darwinism, Hitler's Ethic, Hitler's Religion, and, as a copy, The Death of Humanity, which I would urge you to get, which deals with a lot of contemporary issues in our culture right now. So our format is as follows. Each of us will make brief opening remarks, and then we'll just open up for debate, Q&A, raised either by our remarks or by the film before. So I'll start, again, with just some brief remarks. There's no doubt in my mind that science is an incredible blessing to human society. Medical science has made it possible for my dad to look forward next week to his 99th birthday in a state of comfort and health. Aeronautical science made it possible for me and my son to actually, in the midst of another program in Seattle that is running this entire week, to go down this morning and then fly back tonight (laughs) so I can speak at another event tomorrow. Telecommunications has made it possible a massive increase in the free exchange of ideas, thoughts, opinions, creating a massive marketplace of ideas unparalleled in human history. 
Computer science made it possible for me, a former college professor, to edit and produce a documentary using little more than my Macintosh computer and Final Cut Pro software. So in each of these areas, science and technology have increased human freedom, I think, by increasing our power to create and communicate and act freely. But, like all exercises of human reason and creativity, science is capable of being abused. The very powers it grants us that increase our freedoms can also be used to stifle them. And this is the danger that I call in my book, Darwin Day in America, totalitarian science. Science so totalistic in its outlook that its defenders claim the right to dictate in every other sphere of human life. According to supporters of what I call totalitarian science, science is the one route to genuine knowledge of the world. Therefore, experts who claim to speak for natural science should be given basically the right to rule. They should be deferred to in everything. The government imposed eugenics described in the Human Zoo's documentary, I think was a, a good example of that kind of totalitarian science. Leading evolutionary biologists at Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Columbia, other elite institutions asserted that they were the experts in human breeding and therefore government should do what they said. In this case, take control of evolution by imposing forced sterilization on tens of thousands of innocent Americans. But in our own era, I think we are once again seeing scientific expertise being used as an excuse for the reduction of human freedoms. In medicine, we see growing efforts to subvert parental and patient rights. Take the horrific case this year of Alfie Evans. The parents of baby Alfie, this is in the United Kingdom, wanted to pursue additional medical treatment for their son. Doctors at their government hospital refused, so they found a hospital and doctors actually in another nation who were willing to provide treatment. But the British government forbade them from taking their own son to a new hospital to new doctors who were willing to provide treatment basically imposing a death penalty on their son. It was justified, why? As deference to medical experts, even though there were other medical experts who disagreed. And that canceled out parental rights, let alone the other medical experts. In our own country, we had the case in Massachusetts a couple of years ago of teenager Justina Pelletier, who was institutionalized part of the time in a psych ward against her will and the will of her parents for 16 months. Why? because a doctor just out of medical school disagreed with the diagnosis of Justina's own doctor, who is much more distinguished from Tufts University, and when Justina and her parents had the temerity to follow the advice of their original doctor, Justina's parents were charged by the state with medical child abuse. And Justina was then forcibly incarcerated and denied the medical treatment she herself wanted. But it's not just in the area of medicine we see the rise of totalitarian science, it's also in environmental policy. If you're skeptical of claims of man-made global warming of either extent or, or even in what you think we can do about it, watch out. According to Professor Lawrence Torricello at, Torricello at the Rochester Institute of Technology, any global warming skeptic who received funding for their work should be charged with criminal negligence. Astoundingly, Torcello labels any criticisms of his proposal on the grounds of free speech as misguided. Or journalist Adam Weinstein goes on even further proposing that global warming skeptics should, quote, face jail, they should face fines, they should face lawsuits, unquote. And unfortunately there have been some of those. 
There are also increasing calls in the name of science for coercive methods to control human population. Evolutionary zoologist Eric Pianca at the University of Texas, for example, urges the reduction of the Earth's human population by 90% and calls on the government to confiscate all the earnings of any couple who has more than two children. Quote, you should have to pay more when you have your first kid. You pay more taxes, he insists. When you have your second kid, you pay a lot more taxes, and when you have your third kid, you don't get anything back, they take it all. Science, again, is a good thing, but using science as a pretext for criminalizing dissent and suppressing the legitimate freedoms of citizens is not good for science, and it's certainly not good for a free society. One of my favorite writers is C.S. Lewis. Next week marks the 60th anniversary of the publication of a provocative essay he wrote called, Is Progress Possible? Willing Slaves of the Welfare State. In that essay, Lewis issued the following prophetic warning. The new oligarchy must more and more base its claim to plan us on its claim to knowledge. This means they must increasingly rely on the advice of scientists till in the end the politicians become merely the scientists' puppets. Technocracy is the form to which a planned society must tend. Now I dread specialists in power because they are specialists speaking outside their special subjects. Let scientists tell us about science and sciences. But government involves questions about the good for man and justice and what things are worth having at what price. And on these, a scientific training gives a man's opinion no added value. I think Lewis was right. And I think if we want to maintain a free society, we need to resist totalitarian science, not science, but totalitarian science with all our might. And with that, I'll hand it over to, I guess, Richard and then to George. Okay, as a historian, in thinking about this topic and building upon the, the movie that some of, I realize some of you may have come in and have not seen the movie, but uh, the movie Human Zoos, and if you haven't seen it, uh, you owe it to yourself to, to see that, and, uh, which looks at some of the abuses of science that have taken place historically. And so in thinking about how to challenge that, especially in thinking about the human sciences, because of course in this film we had a, a human subject who was being incarcerated against his will because of scientific racism that was being promoted in the early 20th century by some of the leading anthropologists and scientists of the day. I think we need to go back to our founding document where Thomas Jefferson wrote that all men are created equal and they are endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And it seems there's two key issues there that can help us avoid this kind of problem of totalitarian science and of the problems that we saw in the film. First of all, human equality, that is all men are created equal there. And secondly, the issue of inalienable rights. Now what's interesting is that of course these ideas of scientific racism were building upon ideas of racism that pre-existed. Science didn't create the problem of racism, but science integrated it into its thinking and into its theories and ideas in the middle and later part of the 19th century especially. So that by the early 20th century, scientific racism was considered the standard scientific interpretation and explanation. You go to any biology textbook of the 19-teens, 1920s, and you'll find it. Scientific racism there with the black Africans and Australian Aborigines at the bottom of the, the scale and the Caucasians at the top. Of the scale. So human equality is a fundamental idea. And of course, we know that Jefferson, and again, much of our, in our nation in subsequent years, did not live up to that 
in many ways, which is why it got integrated, these prejudices got integrated into the science uh, later on that then gets applied to people and uh, in the case of Oda Benga that we saw in the film being incarcerated because of being an African pygmy. So I think we need to get back to that fundamental principle of human equality, which science in the late 19th, early 20th centuries began to combat in many ways. And actually, there were overt claims that science proved human inequality. Now, we may think, okay, well, that's, that's in the past. That's something that's happened back then. But as I show in my book, The Death of Humanity, John mentioned earlier, we're back at that, in fact. We're back with that debate that's still very live today about whether or not humans are equal Among bioethicists today, there's a very prominent view known as personhood theory that says that some human beings are persons and some human beings are not persons. And so we need to try to figure out how to decide which ones are and which ones are not. And usually it's based on cognitive abilities. Peter Singer's probably one of the most famous bioethicists around putting forward this idea. He's not by any means the first. Joseph Fletcher was one of the big promoters of this back in the 1950s originally, and there are many bioethicists today that are pushing the same idea, that people that have certain cognitive abilities are persons, and certain people who have lesser cognitive abilities are not persons. And as a historian, uh, this has played itself out in very interesting kinds of ways. Look, in my book, Death of Humanity, I bring out the case of Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who was actually one of the figures, I don't think he was mentioned by name in the film that you just saw, but some of his effects were mentioned because he was the Supreme Court justice that wrote the opinion, Buck versus Bell, that affirmed compulsory sterilization laws for people who were considered, quote, defective. And the famous phrase in that, which maybe some of you have heard of, was three generations of imbeciles are enough. And... Holmes based his views upon what he saw as the scientific consensus of his day. And as I researched my book, The Death of Humanity, I came across some very interesting and troubling correspondence that he he had where he advocated things like substituting artificial selection for natural selection by putting to death the inadequate. By putting to death the inadequate. Now, he was speaking primarily about infanticide, but still, we're talking about killing human beings, and Holmes was very forthright that he didn't think that humans had a right to life, and this then brings me to the second point about the inalienable rights, and that's the other key issue that I think we need to raise that can be the barrier against the kind of totalitarian science, recognizing that humans do have inalienable rights, and of course, obviously, over the past couple of centuries, there's been many ideologies which have been pressing for moral relativism and such, which is driving against the idea that there's any kind of inalienable rights for humans. But I think that we need to affirm that belief in inalienable rights if we're going to avert the problems of treating humans as animals or as machines, which are two of the key problems that I think has come in ideologically over the past couple of centuries. In fact, the first two chapters of my book, The Death of Humanity, the first one is called Man the Machine, which was the title of a book in the 1740s by Julien Delamatrie, a French materialist. And the second one is Created as Animals, which was a phrase that Darwin used himself in referring to humans, humans are just animals. And so I think we need to get away from those ideas of viewing humans as machines or animals and get back to the point where we view humans as having inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Arthur Kanagas. The biggest question I wanted to ask was John West about the human zoo. You know, we, we, we look back at shocking things like that in the past and say, how could people possibly have, have done that, you know, to put people on display or do slavery or other things? Yeah. Moving uh, 100 years from now, what will people look back on that we're doing today that will be just as shocking to them as we are shocked by the human zoos of the past? And what do we do, and what do, we do about it? <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent question. I, I think one, as to what to do about it, the reason why I think it's worth t talking about the past is the, the past gives you a context for understanding what's happening right now. And if your past context is, oh, Science is a perfect enterprise that gives you perfect knowledge of everything and it's not susceptible to the same sorts of things other things are in politics or religion, then you may be open to all sorts of stuff. Whereas if your background knowledge is no, science is a very fallible thing and if you have the wrong view of human beings, say as just material beings open for manipulation, you could end up going down a path that you really won't want to do and you'll be really susceptible to that. So I think talking about the past is actually one way of getting people asked questions about now. Regarding uh, some things today, I'd have to, you know, I don't know, I, I'd say some of the extreme rhetoric coming out of things like the extreme animal rights movement, not animal welfare, but animal rights, that will do things that will harm human beings. You know, for the sake of a non-human organism, you may even do things to prevent access to easy medical care in Alaska or other places because you may go over and trounce some non-human things. I think are blurring that distinction between humans and the rest of nature and then actually preferring animal rights, nature rights, rights of rivers to trump human needs for food and sustenance, I would have to say that I think most humans through most of history would find that crazy. And I would think that if we keep going down that route, that maybe people in the future might find that. That was part one of two episodes to be presented here from a panel discussion on the danger of totalitarian science from the July 2018 Freedom Fest. To learn more about these issues, go to humanzoos.org. There you can watch the trailer or you can click on the menu in the top right corner and then click on books to find books on these topics by today's featured panelists, John West and Richard Weichart, among others. For ID the Future, I'm Tom Gilson. Thanks for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.